You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. It's Monday, October 30th. I'm Zeke Robison. Today we're talking about Elon Musk's first election crisis. Make sure to listen to the end to find out what other Wired podcasts you can check out today. The day after Elon Musk closed his deal to buy Twitter, the company's Seattle office held a Halloween party for employees and their children. Rebecca Scott Thine dressed in bright green to play an alien to her daughter's Buzz Lightyear. Thine, whose job at Twitter, now X, was to help the platform plan for and navigate elections, was driving to the party when an urgent call came in. On the other end of the phone was a member of Twitter's policy team. The company had just received a consent decree, essentially a threat of legal action in Brazil, which was about to hold runoffs for highly polarized presidential and gubernatorial elections. An avowed free speech absolutionist, Musk had already publicly announced that he would pare back content moderation, the systems and teams that Twitter had in place to deal with problematic material on its platform. The problem was, Twitter had already committed to doing something about the amount of election-related misinformation in Brazil. The Brazilian authorities wanted Twitter to stand by its promises. If it didn't comply, the policy team member told her, the Brazilian authorities could fine the company or shut off the platform which had more than 19 million users in the country. Something needed to be done, and quickly. Thine recalls arriving at an office of listless employees, many playing foosball and lounging about, as there was no work to be done. Shortly after Musk took over, the company had locked down many of its internal systems to ensure no changes were made during the leadership handover and coming layoffs. Our active directory got shut off, all of our systems were shut off, says Thine. She had no way of knowing which leaders still worked at the company or who to bring the alert to. I got this call and I just thought, oh no, what do I do? No one is online. Thine ducked into a glass-walled conference room and using what she knew of Twitter's email conventions, began guessing the contact details of the new leadership team. As parents and children arrived to a DJ and inflatable ghosts overlooking the Seattle skyline, Thine wondered who was even around to do anything about the Brazil problem. What followed was a chaotic rush to try to plug gaps in Twitter's processes and prevent the platform from becoming a vector of myths and disinformation during a major election. Thine now worries that what she experienced in those early days of Musk's leadership was less a fluke than a harbinger. 
A year later, Thine, as well as other former employees and experts, worry that X, gutted by layoffs and helmed by a leader hostile to moderation, is careening toward disaster in 2024. It's a year in which more than 50 countries, including the U.S., will hold elections. X did not respond to requests for comment. By the time Elon Musk appeared at Twitter's offices in San Francisco on the eve of his takeover, holding a sink, Thine had been at Twitter for a little over a year. The company had been burned during the 2020 U.S. elections, when its ad hoc approach to dealing with then-President Donald Trump left it open to accusations that it had contributed to the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, so it was trying to build out the protocols for future elections. The Brazilian elections and the U.S. midterms in 2022 were supposed to be a trial run for the U.S. presidential election in 2024. Thine was on maternity leave with her second child when Musk made his offer to buy Twitter. When she returned to work at the end of July 2022, the effects of the purchase, which wouldn't officially close until October, were already being felt. Thine put all of the names of people who touched elections work at Twitter in an Excel workbook. As they left over the next couple of months, she crossed them off, name after name. These departures hampered Twitter's plans to roll out the features it had committed to in Brazil, which included placing special badges by the names of the many candidates running for office across the country. The team had underestimated the scale of this task, Thine says. Reorganizations and resignations slowed their work, too. And on September 5, 2022, extreme heat in California knocked one of Twitter's data centers offline, temporarily making any major changes to the platforms nearly impossible. The features were supposed to be in place by the beginning of October. Already in September, we were having to go to the electoral authority saying we can't deliver what we said we would, Thine says. As the Brazilian elections approached, teams at Twitter did tabletop scenarios, wargaming the various threats the platform could face and how it might respond. Thine was present at one of these, where they considered questions like, what if there was a contested election? What if one of the candidates declared victory prematurely? Thine and others say the person who coordinated these exercises also left before Musk took the helm. Among the other scenarios that were floated for wargaming, according to people with knowledge of the process, was what would happen if there were a sudden change in the company's leadership? What would the team do if the management of Twitter was itself the risk? The scenario wasn't run. The Brazilian election authorities, it seemed, saw risks in Twitter's new leadership. According to several former employees who were aware of the consent decree and among those responding to it, the Brazilian election authorities expressed two primary concerns. The first was that Musk had declared that the company would scale back content moderation. This could have put the platform in violation of the country's laws should it fail to take down anything flagged for removal by the electoral court. Secondly, these employees were told that officials were worried because Twitter had only been able to roll out some of the labels for candidates, and they feared that the paid-for Twitter blue mark that Musk planned to launch could easily be used to create fake accounts. With thousands of people running for regional and national office across the country, they were concerned that anyone could falsely claim to be a candidate. Musk's open opposition to moderation meant that some Twitter staffers didn't know how to respond to the Brazilians' demands. Well before the billionaire closed the deal and declared the bird is freed, he made his feelings clear. In April 2022, when he first offered to buy the company, Musk tweeted that he was against censorship that went beyond illegal speech. 
In June 2022, he described the platform's moderation as biased against half the U.S. Before Musk took control of Twitter, but after he'd made his offer for the company, he tweeted a meme that implied that then-policy chief Vijay Agati was responsible for the company's supposed left-wing bias even though the company's own research found that the platform favored right-wing content. Gaddy was among the first group of executives fired after Musk took over the company. No one knew which employees or departments would be next. Thine and her colleagues worried that the political risks might not convince Musk to let them back into Twitter's systems to turn on the content moderation guardrails. So they came up with a new pitch around the Soccer World Cup, which was due to kick off in Qatar in November. We thought... This person is new to the company and does not understand how social media works, and may be unaware that there's even a Brazilian runoff, Thine says. In soccer-obsessed Brazil, the World Cup was a massive commercial opportunity. If the platform was taken offline, it would be a huge hit to its revenue. We reframed it as Brazil is our third largest market, and the World Cup is our second largest ad revenue opportunity of the year, Thine says. If we get shut off in Brazil... There's a fiduciary risk for you. As Thine watched the Halloween party outside the glass conference room walls, co-workers kept her updated about a meeting happening between senior employees and Musk, who they said had received the risk assessment. The World Cup framing worked, says Thine. Senior team members told her Musk was super understanding. With his blessing, Thine and her team began scrambling to right the ship. Content moderation is a combination of automated and human decision-making. But there were specific automated moderation systems, bots, that Twitter had set up around the elections. For instance, some machine learning algorithms might flag certain words or terms or label a tweet as having election-related information with links to official sources. But most of Twitter's systems remained frozen, meaning someone would need to go in and turn on these particular algorithms. When Thine reached out to the employees who had the ability to do so, she was met with incredulity. They'd say, you're telling me, all over the news, Musk is saying I'm not going to do content moderation. You're going to make me lose my job to give you access, she says. In the end, Ella Irwin, then the vice president of product for trust and safety, was asked to create a note in the system indicating that Musk had approved certain content moderation for the Brazilian election. Twitter added labels to most of the candidates running and flagged tweets that were likely to contain election misinformation. But that wasn't the end of the crisis. The volume of mis- and disinformation flooding the platform in Brazil was more than the cobbled-together team could handle. Messages seen by Wired show the team asking for more resources as the backlog of problematic content grew. According to the messages, the team was given just one additional person to help deal with the rapidly expanding queue. Thine and her team managed to keep Twitter online during the Brazilian election, when it was over, they turned their attention to the next big challenge, the U.S. midterm elections on November 8th. She and her colleagues wanted the concessions made for Brazil to be extended to the U.S. Over the next few days, they battled to ready a plan. But on November 4th, four days before the U.S. midterm elections, Thine was one of 3,700 people, including many of the company's trust and safety staffers, to be laid off. Make sure to check out our other Wired podcasts. Today in Wired Business, a look at the GitHub black market that helps coders cheat a popularity contest. Checking in on Wired Science, where you'll drive into Antarctica's icy belly. If you don't care about it now, you will after hearing this podcast. And on Wired Security, 
TikTok streamers are staging Israel versus Palestine live matches to cash in on virtual gifts. Listen to these stories and more at wired.com slash podcasts. Spoken Layer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.